Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore our relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 17, The Druid's Garden, with herbalist, blogger, and arc druid Dana O'Driscoll. In this episode, we speak with Dana about what druidry is, about growing up in western Pennsylvania in the forest, about studying herbalism in Michigan with Jim McDonald, and how she healed her asthma with New England Aster. We speak with her about her art, about her new plant spirit oracle divination tool, and about the importance of art and blogging. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey y'all, AC here. Before we bring on Dana, I just wanted to make a quick announcement to our listeners about an event that I'm helping to organize coming up in mid-February. The event is an online small business skill share. It's going to be a week-long series of presentations and workshops and some networking opportunities for folks to really hone their small business skills in 2021. Small business owners have to wear a lot of different hats, as you probably know. So we're going to be bringing together experts in the field of running a small business to talk to you about logo and branding, graphics design, how to just clarify your business idea and create a marketing strategy. The event starts February 16th and is hosted by Maple Creative, which is a super rad small business that I'm working with who helps authors and educators and herbalists grow their online business with web development and online courses, creating live events and things like that. So please check out their website to register for the event for free and learn more about it. So you can go to buildwithmaple.com. That's buildwithmaple.com to learn more. And without further ado, I am honored to welcome Dana O'Driscoll. Okay. Well, welcome Dana O'Driscoll to the Plant Cutting Podcast. You're a, an herbalist, a permaculturist, a druid, a writer, an artist. What brought you to this, to all of this stuff? Well, sir, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk with you. Um, Likewise. What brought me here? Wow. Um, that's a, you know, it's always interesting to think about the journey that you've taken to get somewhere. Um, I think that when I was a child, I spent a lot of time in nature. I had a grandfather who was really into like, you know, mushroom hunting and things like that. And when I was a teenager, um, the forest that I spent all this time in was cut down and it was Uh, like, they call it sustainable logging, but like, let's make no mistake. Like the forest was very destroyed. And it wasn't until my mid twenties that I could even go back in. And when I did, Um, I saw so much regeneration and so much life and just recognizing the healing power of nature in different ways. Um, So I would say that like what brought me into it was both childhood and those connections with nature, but really like seeing the forest cut, having that terrible traumatic thing, sort of experience, and then being able to re-enter that forest. So, you know, 10 years later and being like, wow, look at all the healing that's taken place look at the healing power of nature, which of course ties to permaculture design, that ties to herbalism, that ties to druidry, that also ties to my art. And so that's sort of like, I think that that regeneration is sort of like the core theme for me, um, Mm -hmm. really. And, and, And it's really an important theme today too. So sort of like how I got here in part is because like, like anybody who's practicing herbalism or these other things, 
anybody who's connected with nature, you know, we're all really worried about where we're heading as humans. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that like finding those kinds of things that really sustain us and, you know, how do we, I don't know, how do, how do we reframe our relationship? And I, I think it's those kinds of early deep experiences that can help. So kind of getting off topic, but I, I think that those were really powerful moments for me in sort of my own path. Yeah, so you spent a lot of time in nature as a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up on the edge of probably what's several hundred acres of forest. Um, what I didn't know when I was a child, it's funny because my cousins and I, when we were young, used to crawl through the forest and, you know, make cabins and build like little dams in the, in the little stream and everything. Yeah. And like, we never really understood. We saw all these old stumps and they were growing what I later learned was reishi mushroom, which of course is its own wow. lesson. Um, you know, so the stumps get cut by humans and then they respond by growing the most medicinal mushroom in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I was a child, I didn't really understand what I was seeing. And we actually thought that maybe aliens had come and cut stumps. <laughs> You know, so, yeah, natural pro thought progression. Yeah, like a fire had happened. It never occurred to me that people would come and cut them. You know, that's the innocence of a child. And, mm -hmm. you know, I spent all of that time and got to know many, you know, dear trees as friends and just started really, I don't know, it was like when you're a child, nature is such a magical thing. It's so, yeah. I don't know, there's just such a, there's such a, a connection and a, a, I guess, and yeah, like a sacredness to it. Um, that I think as adults, we're always trying to find, you know, we're always seeking that. So yeah, to me, that that was such a formative experience. And I did lose myself in sort of consumerism and gaming and sort of, I don't know, the 20, at the time, the 20th century, and even into the 21st century, just sort of, I don't know, the technology and evils of the age, maybe not that everything's evil, but there's a lot of stuff that really takes us away from nature. And, yeah, you know, it was sort of like that that coming back to the forest when I said like when I was 25 that really sort of, I don't know, it almost like rekindled what I had had happen in my life earlier on, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what happened after 25? Did you start into herbalism, permaculture or druidry first? Um, I actually started with druidry, um, but they all kind of happened at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I sort of sort of had an awakening at that point. Like I had spent, you know, a good part of my late teens and early 20s all through my undergrad sort of just you know playing games and just you know doing the usual typical american thing not really thinking much of it and then had this sort of really powerful experience and it really did change me and i didn't discover permaculture right away um, it was a couple of years had passed and the same with herbalism it wasn't until I, I moved to michigan after i was done with graduate school that i got to meet jim mcdonald and practice herbalism but those ideas were always circulating and so and I really think that they're all really interrelated, you know, so nature, yeah, spirituality, yeah. herbalism, permaculture, you know, all these things are really, they're all just different ways of thinking about how do we work with nature as, as a healing and regenerative experience for ourselves and how do we in turn honor nature and reciprocate. Yeah, it's all very, it, it seems like it all fits together so well. It's very harmonious. Yeah, yeah. so... I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners too, what is druidry? Oh, sure. <laughs> that's the, that's the, uh, that's the question, right? That's a million dollar yeah. question. Um, in part, because if you ask five different druids, this answer, this question, you might get 10 different answers. Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to be very clear that I'm not speaking on behalf of all druids because, you know, druidry, it's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's in many ways, it's very anti-dogmatic. Um, mm -hmm. 
Druids believe that nature is sacred. Um, maybe the one thing we can all agree on is that nature is good and that we all find some kind of spiritual connection to it. Um, but I will, what I can say is that there are a lot of Druids that have some similar practices. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, many of us focus on living a wheel of the year, um, perhaps localized to our ecosystem where, you know, it's like, how do I, how do I use what I see in nature and connect that to my own life? So for example, right now, it's January, um, pretty soon the maple, our maple trees here, I live in Western Pennsylvania, our maple trees will be running pretty soon. Spring will slowly be coming back in. But in the deep, dark cold of January, I say, well, what are nature's lessons that might benefit me? Um, how can I learn from this? Um, and so nature is our sacred text, if you will. It's our church, if you want to use those kinds of terms. Um, the living and, church, living text, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so that's really the core of Druidry. Um, there are historical pieces that a lot of us use. Um, so for example, in Druidry, there's sort of three divisions. Um, there are bards, ovates, and druids. Um, and these actually reflect the ancient druids and their three categories of, of folks that were doing this work. Um, so the bards, if you, you may have heard this term before, right? Um, in, the, in the modern druid, in today's druidry, um, bardism and bar bardic arts are all about creative practices. They're all about channeling what we call the awen or like creative inspiration or flowing inspiration. And so there's this whole sort of side of Druidry that's all about like, I'm going to be inspired by nature and create things. And that might be like, I'm a visual artist, I'm a painter. Yeah. Um, I do leather work, I do those sorts of things. Um, or maybe I create like herbal blends, right? Um, there's the Ovate path, which is all about the natural world, which is like where you learn about like botany and things like that, right? And yeah. how to actually identify trees and what plants do. Mm -hmm. um, and also some more, maybe their divination properties. Um, and then the Druid path is the final one. And that's kind of where you get things like mysticism and you know, you get ritual, you get journeying, meditation. Um, and so these three paths kind of all interrelate inter to form this kind of really interesting, I think, cohesive whole that allows for a lot of individual um, exploration and a lot of individual focus. Um, so I guess that's sort of in a nutshell, um, some of the big pieces of the Druid tradition at least. Cool. Yeah, it seems to me that Druidry is very idiosyncratic. Uh, I, I've seen, you know met some different Druids in, their, in, in my days, and they, they all seem very different. You know, they all go on their own ways. Yeah, and I think part of that is that we don't, um, Druidry, we don't specify a set of belief systems. Mm -hmm. So most religions, particularly like the big religions, it's like you have to believe these certain things, right? There's a set of beliefs, perhaps in deity and the afterlife, those kinds of things. Um, in Druidry, that's not something that we all agree on, and that's not something we all care to agree on. So, you know, that's not, that's not the important question, <laughs> if you will. Um, <laughs> right. And I think that's really, like a lot of Druids, maybe some of them, I've met a lot of animists, like I'm an animist Druid. Um, there's polytheistic Druids, there's monotheistic Druids. We have Christian Druids and we have, you know, atheistic Druids. Um, so that's like the whole idea of deity isn't really that important. It's more like yeah. time in nature, learn from nature, grow, and then you can sort of add what else on you might like. Yeah, that's really interesting because like when a lot of people think of religion, they think about uh, worshiping a specific deity or spirit or set of spirits or deities. And it, it's interesting that Druidry isn't even about that necessarily. It's about nature. No, yeah. I mean, that's why I said nature is our church, our sacred text, you know, and yeah, like, like I said, and I think that like that pluralness of it is really interesting 
because it's not really about who you worship. That's not the point. Like there's a lot of people who do maybe worship or work with a deity or a spirit, but that's, you don't have to. You could literally, like I have several people that I've worked with over the years is in mentoring that are atheist druids. And they really just wow. want that deep spiritual connection, that meditation with the living earth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they want to work, like a lot of them are working on herbalism and, you know, learning how to like do wild food and things like that. And that's enough for them. And that's yeah. cool. Yeah, we, we speak, spoke with Seven Song, uh, you know, maybe a couple months ago, and you know, he has a very deep connection to herbs and plants, um, but he just doesn't have the spiritual impulse. I mean, for him, the connecting with the plants and the way he does is enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting. You know, letting, you know, people, people have different ways of experiencing uh, the numinous or the reality or the world or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And I think like, like I'm the Grand Archdruid in AODA right now. That's the ancient order of Druids in America. Yeah. Um, and I've been, I've been involved in some, some leadership capacity in AODA for about eight or nine years now. Um, maybe, maybe that long, maybe like seven, I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, but that's really an important part of that kind of approach to Druidry. It's like, we're going to offer you a set of practices so that you can cultivate a relationship with nature so that you can learn how to do some basic spiritual stuff like meditation and grounding and, and protection and so on but in the end you're the one who has to sort of figure out how you want to fill that out um yeah. Yeah. and that's you know even just getting people like one of our core practices go into nature every week observe interact right and just getting people to do that is a huge step for a lot of people and that will lead to all sorts of other amazing things right so yeah. it, is, it is really cool how you can see the different, even within our order, and our order is definitely very diverse, like you can really see the different manifestations of what that ends up looking like, partly based on the person and their background, but also based on their ecosystem and where they live. Cool. So can you tell us a little bit about the AODA and like how you got into it and what it, you know, what it is? Yeah, sure. Um, the AODA is actually quite an old Druid order. Um, it was founded in 1912, um, which is, wow, yeah. in terms of spiritual orders, um, it's possible that we're now the oldest, like one of the oldest continuous Druid orders in the world. I'm not sure. Um, but um, the a so the AODA is, it's the ancient order of Druids in America. And most of our members are in North America, either in Canada or the US, but we do have members in South America and in Europe and other places. Um, and it's an order, like I said, that's really focused on the biggest, the, the, the key thing that we do is really help people reconnect with nature, help people reconnect with their own and develop some kind of inner life, you know, whether that's through meditation or whatever, um, and really teach people um, sort of, I don't know, there's, when you, when you look at the typical person that comes into Druidry or into AODA, it's somebody who's like, there's something missing. You know, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but all I want to do is be close to nature, you know, and that's, and that's where a lot of people start, you know, they, they right. recognize that, you know, TV and phones and everything else are fine, but they're just not doing it for them, but they don't really necessarily have a sense of, well, what can I do that's different? Um, and so we have like a three-stage curriculum where people can, it's essentially sort of like a choose your own adventure, I like to describe it as. Um, <laughs> you know, people, people, there are things like we have books for you to read and, you know, studying nature and all these experiential practices. But in the end, it's like you sort of choose the things you want to focus on. Do you want to focus on bardic arts? Do you want to focus as an ovate, as a druid? Um, and then people can kind of work their way through the curriculum over a period of years. 
Um, and like I said, we are really we we are really committed to that diversity piece, right? So that everybody who comes in, regardless of who you are, what you believe, what you look like, you what you do, there's a place for you if you want to learn more about nature and living earth, right? And connect. Um, and so I think that's a powerful thing in today's age. You know, we're not saying you have to believe this or you have to do this. We're just saying, hey, if you want if you want to learn more about nature spirituality, we can help you do that. And here are the ways. And you know, I ended up in the place I am because these practices really worked for me. I joined AODA in 2006, um, and you know, I've been doing this these practices for a long time, and they sort of have really deeply shaped who I am um, in many ways. Um, they led me to practice permaculture. They led both to both the oracle decks I've produced and sort of my deep engagement with the arts and really the synthesis of like magic and plants and nature and art. Um, and so I'm really grateful. And so this is my way of offering services to, you know, make sure that these practices are available to other people who might find them of use. That's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned earlier studying with Jim McDonald and um, I'm just curious how, what that experience was like studying with him and how you incorporate herbalism into your your yeah. homestead and your community and your practices now? Sure. Um, I think, you know, to go back to this, to this, this idea of connection and regeneration, um, one of the things that I have been trying to figure out for a long time is how do we get the average person to reconnect with nature? Um, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you, maybe the spiritual thing is, isn't your thing. Maybe you already have a spiritual path or a religious path, right? But, you know, you're taking, you're, you look at the average everyday person you know, who's deeply embedded in this culture and in some of the more problematic assumptions about nature, right, and about the world and our place in it. And you say, well, how do we reconnect? And one of the things that I have found consistently, um, which is why I do plant walks and herbalism, um, is that people find what people have value when they find something of use. Um, yeah. In other yeah. words, if I can teach somebody about dandelion and maybe they can use it to help them. Um, or like New England Aster is one of my favorites, right? Oh, yes. Like that can get people off of asthma medication. It got me off of asthma medication. Mm -hmm. like, I can tell that story. That's a Jim McDonald story. Um, yeah. you know, but it's like, if you can just get people to understand that nature has real value and ultimately that everything that they have and everything that like, I'm sitting in a room, that's all of this is given by nature. It might be several steps removed, but it's all from nature ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get people there, then you really have something. And so I started studying both wild food foraging and herbalism um, in part because I definitely needed a lot more knowledge than I had, but in part because I was hoping that through, and, and really permaculture too, all of these things, homesteading, all of these things, um, in part because I thought, well, one is I need to better my own life and I need to reconnect individually, but also because I was hoping that I could share this knowledge with others. Um, and when I lived in Southeast Michigan, I lived there for six years. That's when I was able to study with Jim McDonald and some of the other traveling teachers he brought through and really deeply embedded myself in both wild foods and herbalism. And then when I came to Western Pennsylvania where I'm the only person who knows most of the things I know in my county. And there's only a couple of us in the entire, like I would say Southwestern Pennsylvania. Yeah. I've met three or four other people who do plant walks and stuff. There's not many people like that's yeah. knowledge that's really powerful. Where where are you in, in, in Western Pennsylvania? I'm I'm from Beaver County, and I you know I'm in New York now, but uh, yeah, there's not that much going on. Yeah, there. Well, <laughs> I'm really thankful I got all of this all of these like classes and teachings and herbalism, natural building, and permaculture, and everything when I was in Michigan because coming back here 
like, I still don't feel like I know that much, but I know more than most people here. So, you know, yeah. sort of like, um, I'm in um, Indiana County um, and I actually grew up in Cambria County. So both of those are quite rural. Um, they're both yeah. east of Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I was raised in Beaver County, which is kind of like part rural, part post-industrial. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's Basically. all it's all rural post-industrial up here, and that's sort of yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like you had asked me about my background, and mm -hmm. I actually think that part of this has to do with growing up in the landscape that I grew up in. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like when you walk down to the local, we call it the Crick. Okay, I'm gonna yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in here. When you, down the crick. <laughs> when you walk down to the Crick, and it's orange, and it's full of sulfur, yeah. full of iron, and yeah. it smells, and there's no life in it. And then you walk down, you know, you, you continue walking and you see all of this acid mine drainage. You see what we call bony dumps or soil tips, these giant piles of refuse from old mines. And then you see the abandoned steel mills and like, there's something okay. about that it embeds in you. And I think you can go in a couple of directions, right? You can go in the, okay, I'm just gonna embody, this, this is just part of my embodied landscape. I'm going to accept it. And this whole post-industrial, your rust belt mm -hmm. mentality, which we see a lot of people doing, or you could say, I'm going to learn permaculture yeah. and I'm going to learn how to regenerate that, that bony pile. And I'm going to learn how to bring healing and life back to this land. Mm. So, yeah. There, the, Pittsburgh's kind of interesting too, uh, in that way. Like I, I lived in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh in the city for a little while. And there's so many pockets of regenerating forest, like within the city limits that, you know, used to be, you know, houses or whatever. And the ecosystems there are so in, like there there's like some native plants and then a, a lot of like rose of sharon and various mm -hmm. other like escaped and plants. wildlife like owls yeah. and foxes yeah. and deer and all sorts of things so like right in the city in these like recovered places where the land just like has taken it back it's it's really cool yeah and old foundations and slag piles mm -hmm. and everything yeah. yeah and you know i think we really have to as as sort of as people who are living in sort of 21st century America, I think we really have to say, what are we gonna do with these spaces? Yeah. Like a lot of my training in permaculture came in the Detroit metro area. And if you want yeah. to talk about a place that's really interesting from sort of like, a, okay, we've had this massive decline, you know, a third of the people that used to live here are, are left, right? There's like one third of people and there used to be two thirds more, even less. Yeah. Yeah, just like Pittsburgh. <laughs> exactly. And so I think we've got these cities that are all over North America that are just like that. And and even rural spaces that have sort of been, they're, they're like places no one wants. They're abandoned. Mm -hmm. But those are the places that somebody that has permaculture training and herbalism training, you know, you go in and you already see the wild weeds that are growing there that are like sacred medicine just saying, oh, come use me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or you see like there's an abandoned, there's, there's, a, there's just a blank slate where this lawn used to be. And you're like, boy, how many vegetables could I fit in that spot? And, and so th there's just really like, that's part of why I'm so invested in all of these things, right? Is that there is such hope where if you don't have the permaculture skills and the herbalism skills, and you look at that space, all that you see is something abandoned. You don't see it as something that has such potential. Um, but, you know, you study some of this, you know, you study permaculture and suddenly you have a whole range of things that you could do to bring that into a, a you could build an ecosystem. And sure, nature could build an ecosystem. But if it's in the middle of Detroit or Pittsburgh, it might take nature 250 years to build a mature yeah. ecosystem. It could take you 30, you know, you can and help so build nature, you can be part of part of the yeah. process, you, be, you can be nature 
uh, mm. helping, you know, rebuilding the ecosystem. Yeah. So like, to me, it's like that, you know, going back to the, the forest that was cut and healed and all of this stuff, like that's the ultimate goal. Like if we have that kind of power within us and, you know, instead of saying, how can we do less bad? You know, this is the words of Ben Falk. He's a permaculturist. And yeah, he's great. great. There's a movie called Inhabit, which you may have seen. Yeah. And he talks about this at the beginning of his the movie and it really stuck with me. It's like, instead of saying, how can we do less bad? The question is, well, how can we do good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I've always thought about this, like we're kind of like um, as much bad as we have done to the environment, we can do that much good too. I mean, whatever power we have to destroy things, we have that much power to help create things. Yeah. And, and, when we're, and we're part of nature. That's the thing that like, you know, a lot of, like a lot of people forget, <laughs> but it's like, it's all, I mean, how could we be separate? Yeah. Well, and this is, so this is, this gets back to wild foods and herbalism, right? Yeah. So even on a small level, if you can take somebody and show them, Hey, those maple trees, like maple syrup, you probably theoretically understand that. Hey, how about young maple leaves in the spring? Um, or dandelion or those sorts of things and suddenly they start to see that nature has value and healing then they realize that they're a part of nature and then they realize hey maybe this lawn isn't such a good idea like it sort of can spiral from there right and then suddenly we've got a bunch of people doing really good things and can really turn I, I really believe I mean this is my hope right it's like you you see all these terrible you see all these terrible projections for you know what we're going through right now and and I mean those things are true but I also think there's so many different movements that are all doing the same thing you know druidry and herbalism permaculture you know there's so many different movements out there that are all trying to do the same thing which is like reconnect us with nature recognize that we can be a force of good and healing and recognize that nature can reciprocate that you know and that's just like blows your mind when you really sit down and think about it so how how did you heal your asthma with new england aster sure okay so this is my jim mcdonald story so um, you know, once I got really deep, you know, once I got really deep into Druidry, you know, you start seeing nature as sacred and then you just can't sit around. Like, it's not just about going to the woods and having some woo-woo. Sure, that might be part of it. And that's kind of fun, right? Go in the woods and be like, oh, nature's so wonderful. But yeah. in the end, like nature's being destroyed all around you. So you better start, you know, arming yourself with some tools and skills. And so um, I met Jim McDonald. We were doing these uh, permaculture meetups um, and I met him at a permaculture meetup and we started talking and I had somehow, somehow we got on the subject, you know, Jim, Jim is such a wonderful person, but he's always asking the strangest questions. Um, you know, like, you know he, he routinely asks you about like your poop and things like that, you know, cause that's just who he is. And we got on, we got on the topic of miasma and he's like, you know, I was like, I've got this herb and actually I, I you know, it, New England Aster was actually an herb that, you know, he kind of rediscovered. Um, New England aster is, yeah. you know, it's the really beautiful deep purple aster with the yellow core and it has this really deep aromatic smell. And what we know about any aromatic, and a lot of aromatics, that's where the medicine is. And so, you know, he started experimenting with it and, you know, discovered that it had this really fantastic lung, um, sort of lung, lung capacity. You know, it, it helped with lungs, it helped with um, tightness of breath, shortness of breath. And so he, I was actually sort of one of his early test, test subjects on this. And he's like, hey, Dana, you have pretty chronic asthma. It's quite bad. Like, we do want to try taking this tincture and see what happens. And I was like, yeah, sure. And literally, like I, at the time, I was on four different asthma medicines. I had the fast acting inhaler. I had the nebulizer. I had like 
another regular inhaler and then I had like the Advair like inhaling like the pill like there was that little pill you crushed and oh yeah and the the medicines are awful you know they had really bad side effects they make you like all jittery they're you know, yeah like your tongue gets all gross I have asthma too so I can relate to all okay that. you know exactly what I'm talking about so there's really serious side effects with these things and I was just at the point where I was like I don't want to live the rest of my life with this is there anything else I can do and so we talked about diet and he actually had me work with a dietitian on an elimination diet and then we worked with the New England Aster and literally within a couple of months I was off all four I mean I still mm-hmm. keep my nebulizer and my fast acting inhaler around I can't actually tell you the last time I used either. It's probably been a couple of years where I used to be daily, right? And I cut gluten from my diet. Turns out I'm pretty allergic to it. And it actually was causing a lot of lung inflammation. And then I use New England Aster regularly, like every day. And I'm off of all of them. And so after this experience, when Jim does his four season herbal class, when it came up, I was like, please sign me up because if one plant that's literally growing as a weed by the side of the road can do this, what's the possibility for other plants? And so it just really opened up this whole new world. Um, and, you know, you know, it's just like, it's, it just blows your mind when you realize the power of plants and all of our medicine originally was derived from plants anyways. Yeah. Um, and the science behind a lot of this now is fascinating, you know, especially like some of the mushroom research and things. So, oh, yeah. so yeah. Um, I started studying with Jim. I took his four season herbal intensive. I want to say that was like 2013 ish, somewhere in there. Um, and then I started learning about how to do like plant walks and things like that and, and really getting deep into wild foods also. Um, and what I liked so much about the way that Jim taught is that Jim taught us about reverence and respect. Oh, yeah. You know, like we learned about poison ivy, not as, oh, avoid this. Okay. Yeah. You're going to avoid poison ivy, but like Poison ivy is an awareness plant. It teaches mm-hmm. us yeah. to observe and, and it teaches us to pay attention, which is a lesson that we all need in the 21st century, right? Yeah. Um, and so I really just, I loved learning those things and I really feel like it, it just added to everything else I was already doing and just gave me another sort of piece of this. And then of course, when I moved here to Western Pennsylvania, it was something that I was able to share um, because there wasn't, there just wasn't other people that really knew the things I did. Um, so it was really, like I said, it was a really, it was a really important piece. And I didn't realize it at the time, but coming back here, which is where I'm at now, um, it really did allow me to sort of do some of that work with people like, Hey, let's, let's talk about the dandelion. Let's talk about New England Aster. And there's a couple of people that take New England Aster that I know now, and you know, that are here and they grow it in their backyard and they're off their asthma medicine. And, you know, so I really, I'm grateful to Jim because, you know, he just opened up so many doorways for Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I learned about New England Aster from another herbalist, Amanda David in Ithaca, who learned it from Jim McDonald. And she was a guest teacher during um, Seven Songs program. And we got to spend a whole day with her and sit with the plant and really get to know it. And she uses a lot on like kids who have like whooping cough, like a really hacky cough. So in addition to asthma, it's been something that she found a lot of success with too with it. Yeah. I just think it's also just such a beautiful plant. It's one of it's it probably is. one of my favorite it's flowers. Magnificent. Yeah. yeah. That deep purple. Mm-hmm. And the, the the resin is the aromatic resin is, is wonderful. Have you guys ever looked at it really closely as it's opening and closing? Like if you can look at one that's in full bloom, that's got some in full bloom and some that are opening and uh-huh. some closing, every single one of those petals as they open is like a spiral that uncurls uh-huh. almost into like a Fibonacci spiral. It's oh, wow. like 
yeah, it, like uh, this is, I learned this because I started taking botanical illustration classes and like you have to really deeply observe plants in a different way than you would as an herbalist. And yeah. oh my goodness, like that, that plant just has so much beauty and resonance if you get up close. So I highly recommend it. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's really interesting, you know, how um, the art is another pathway into uh, communicating and learning from the plant. Yeah, yeah, I could talk about this all night. <laughs> yeah, I was like, can we talk about art now? Because I was thinking you mentioned poison ivy and I love your plant spirit oracle drawing or painting of the poison ivy, like yeah. peering out from behind these leaves. You see like her eye like peeking out, like I won't mess with you if you won't mess with me. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I have that one hanging in my office. Like no, none of my students know what it is, of course, but I thought it was funny that I put I put poison, I have poison ivy, catnip, spruce, and hawthorn hanging in my office. Oh yeah, sounds <laughs> very protective. Like this is my yeah. space. <laughs> I got um, it, I got space. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, okay. So this kind of goes back to the, the thing I was sharing earlier about Druidry, how Druidry is really about thinking about those different paths, right? So mm -hmm. herbalism and permaculture would very much be on that ovate path, that path of really deep nature awareness. Um, but there's these other paths, right? And so the plant spirit oracle kind of goes into some of those paths. Like that was really for me as much a, a project about deep learning of plants as it was sort of about thinking about the spirit of plants. Um, so sort of more broadly when we say, okay, well, you know, what does it mean to, to, to practice a bardic art? And what does it mean to practice a, a art spiritually as opposed to just, you know, for art's sake? And then I think you sort of get into these, these, the synthesis of like art and nature and spirituality, right? Um, and so this, to me, all of the things I do, um, I should start by saying I have a day job. And so I'm not really out to like make a living at any of this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a lot of what I try to do is think about like, how can I, this is really my ultimate goal is how can I be a good ancestor? Mm. How can I leave this world in a place that is better than I found it and maybe just in small ways with you know individuals in my community I'm, I'm not talking about huge scale things but I think if there's enough of us that think this way then we can sort yeah. of be a real force of good That's so true. a lot of what I think about is like how what are things that I can put into the world that would help humans reconnect with nature reconnect with themselves reconnect with their own spiritual gifts and their own creative gifts but ultimately, how can we get us back into a healthy place where we honor and respect the living earth, right? Um, yeah. And so as an artist, I sort of approach that really different than say as an herbalist or a homesteader or a permaculturist, um, because I really feel like there's a lot in art that we can bring forth. Like I had just posted something about this on my blog a couple of weeks ago, this idea of bringing a vision forth, right? So you read a lot of the fiction and the movies and stuff from, you know, the last part of the 20th century or early 21st century, and they were all dystopian. You yeah. Know? How many now dystopia? <laughs> right. And right. It's like, so how, how much of what we're living right now we created because we put those yeah. visions over and over again into the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Keith says like with the poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. I mean, it, it's all artists are in a certain way. They're visioning the future. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up. This is really interesting. Please. Yeah. 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 So to me, if, you know, if I'm going to practice art, could I bring forth in this case, the plant spirit oracles are probably my best example. Can I bring forth a vision that helps heal and that helps reconnect and 
that you know people can say wow okay like i'm gonna i'm gonna learn about calamus and it's it's connection to communication or i'm gonna learn about witch mm -hmm. hazel um or new england aster or poison ivy or whatever and so to me it's a way of it's a, it's the same thing i'm doing with plant walks or herbs right yeah it's another it's just a different medium in this case it's how do people become closer to nature mm -hmm. um and maybe if they pick up the plant spirit oracle and they you know they use it um, maybe then they're going to start growing some of their own herbs and maybe they're going to raise their awareness about, you know, or maybe they're going to recognize Aster when they see it or Witch Hazel when they see it and recognize that, you know, as more than just something that's green and purple or whatever, and yellow, <laughs> but rather something that has its own, like for me, has its own spirit, has its own magic and has its own medicine. Yeah. Um, and again, then it has value. It has use to people. And then right. suddenly now we care. And then to me, it's all about care. Like that's the ultimate thing. If we can get yeah. people to care, if we can bring forth those like, you know, permaculture has the different ethics of care. If we can bring forth that care, then we've changed the world. And so maybe it's, maybe it's kind of a nebulous lofty goal for my art, but that's really what I'm hoping to do is like get people to care and get people to connect with nature. And if I can do that in a small way, great. And if all you want to do is look at the pretty pictures, that's okay too. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's still a connection, right. you know? Yeah, it seems like looking at the pretty pictures is a way of accessing the spirit of the plant in a way. So when you see that plant, you recognize it, you see some of its unique essence. And like when you're doing a reading, like using it for divination, like how the plant interacts with that divination. So maybe you can tell us a little bit, a bit, a little bit more about your decks and the divination system. Yeah, yeah. So you really like hit the nail on the head, right? With the idea of connecting with the plant spirit because I'm a druid and I'm an animist. And so to me, you know, I have a much deeper relationship with any herb or plant or tree or whatever if I not only have a physical re relationship with it but a metaphysical relationship. So the plant spirit oracle, um, and that's my most recent project, um, the plant spirit oracle really focuses on that. It's, it focuses on introducing people to not only the physical aspects of the plant, but the metaphysical aspects. So like in the book that goes with it, you can learn about herbal preparations, but you can also sort of learn a little bit about the spirit of the plant. And so that's what I did. I sort of took these plants and I translated them into a spirit. And then that's a spirit you could meet. Maybe that's a card that you can set up and do a meditative journey with. Um, and I have information about all of that in, in that project, um, how to work with it in that way. Um, and maybe it's going to show you a new side to a plant that you didn't know before, because all of the plants are multifaceted, right? It's not like they have one side. It's just like us, like yeah. you're almost a different person to every person you meet, right? <laughs> I feel like the plants are in the same way, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, um, so I have that project. Um, that's the Plant Spirit Oracle that came out, I want to say in late 2019, but 2020 has been eternal. So I'm like, my whole sense of time is off now. Um, <laughs> For real, yeah. <laughs> Um, I also have the Tarot of Trees, which is my first, uh, my first project, and that one was really motivated by some of those earlier childhood experiences I shared with you. Um, and then I also have um, the newest project I have is a forthcoming book um, from Schiffer Publishing called Sacred Actions. Um, and that's actually, that's not an oracle or divination system, that's actually like a written book um, that really focuses on integrating nature, spirituality, and uh, sustainability and permaculture. Um, so cool. sort of taking these different aspects and bringing yeah. them together and really That's thinking super about exciting. It. When's that coming out? Um, it's coming out in May 2021. Um, okay. And it'll be available on like Amazon and places like that. Yeah, that's pretty soon. Great. That's pretty cool. So, so what, was, what was it like to create a uh, divination deck? Um, I mean, 
I know it's probably pretty complicated, but also intuitive and not complicated. Yeah, um, I definitely think it was actually much harder the first time I did it with the Tarot of Treats, ah. um, because I really didn't know what I was doing. And I, I didn't even start like the Tarot. Both of these decks didn't start intentionally as Tarot or Oracle decks. They sort of started as I want to work through a theme or think about something. And then eventually later, they sort of took on a life of their own. But um, I, I think that in order to do that, I mean, I think everybody has the capacity to do it if they try and, you know, work on their skills. I don't believe that art is any kind of um, magical thing that you have or you don't have it. I don't believe in the concept of talent. Um, anybody who works hard can improve as an artist and can gain skill and can, you know, accomplish some things. So, you know, if you look at the Tarot of Trees, that was a much earlier work. You can see my, my style is much less refined compared to the Plant Spirit Oracle, which is a much, uh, you know, it's a work that you can see I had 10 years of experience in between them. Um, but I think that the whole idea, I have a blog post on this I can share with you guys if you want to link it. Um, I actually sort of yeah. broke down, like, how do you actually begin thinking about creating an Oracle or a Tarot deck? Um, are you going to use someone else's system or an existing system like Tarot? Or are you going to just let the Oracle come forth? Um, but yeah, it was it was an intuitive process um, for the plant spirit oracle. It it was sort of like I was doing a lot of meditations and I was getting a lot of these paintings through meditation and sort of meeting with the plant spirits. And usually that would like usually I would start by working with the plants as an herbalist. So you know I might work with mugwort, do some mugwort preparations, maybe drink a mugwort tea, and then usually within a week or so mugwort would end up in my in my. Uh, meditation and then mugwort would be like hey i'd like you to paint this and here's some things about me and then i would do that so it was very like intuitive um and you know some of the meanings in the plant spirit oracle really align nicely with um established wisdom and then some of them really um i think go in some different directions but again that's that has to do with what what the plants want to want to be in this deck right um so i think that's a little bit about how it works i don't know if that made any sense at all <laughs> Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And right now we're looking at this beautiful art on the Zoom call of the Great Web. And it's this gorgeous my mycelial network with mushrooms on the top going into a spiral with stars and cosmos under the earth. And it's just like mm, magnificent. So can you tell us a little bit about what this art means? Yeah, yeah card means? Uh, this is actually in my living room. I, I love this painting. It's probably one of the fa my favorite paintings I've ever done. Um, yeah, and you know I mean I love mushrooms like everything about mycelium is wonderful and you know that whole idea of Paul Stamets saying that mushrooms can save the world like I'm fully committed to that to that idea you know yeah um, we're on board yeah let's yeah like back to the mushrooms and we're good yeah like if we just yeah if we could just go back to the mushroom and understand mushrooms so um this painting came about because I had been reading some really interesting um I've been reading some really interesting science about the gravity like the gravity network in the universe so you could actually draw links um, using like gravity of stars that sort of demonstrated their complete interconnection huh. and 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 so i was really playing with this idea of like as above so below um yeah. as yeah. About the idea that you know on the on the most minuscule the the microcosm is reflected on the macrocosm and vice versa mm -hmm. um and so that's sort of how this painting involved is the idea yeah we have a galaxy out there and in some ways it doesn't actually look that different than the fungal web of life right 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's really kind of reflecting that that idea. Um, and and you know, that's a really interesting like idea to meditate on because then it sort of helps you understand, like like it gets to some of these ideas that I think are really important if we're going to sort of turn <laughs> turn our situation around, so to say, so to say, like, you know, if we are all ultimately connected to each other, then what I do to the plant or the nature outside, I also do to myself. And so it's yeah, that, really, you know, that yeah. deep interconnection on every level, right? Whether it's in the soil, whether it's in the universe, whether it's in our own bodies. And so I think that's a really powerful idea. Um, and one that I hopefully conveyed to some extent in this painting. <laughs> yeah, I think you did a great job with yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> brings out the connection for sure. Yeah, and it's so important. So You've been writing your blog now, um, which yeah. we'll link in the in the show notes. Um, a Druid's for, Garden. Yeah, Druid's Garden. That for ten years now. Uh, yeah, I think it's about that. <laughs> you have such a wealth of of resources, like yeah, information there. So generous. Like, do you even remember all of the things that you've written about over life? Like, how do, like, yeah. how do you come up with all of this content? Like, it's just so amazing. Um, well, about the first five years has ended up in this book that I'm publishing, um, that publishing. and then I have like two more I'm working on that are all coming out of the blog. So um, one of my dear friends and mentors is John Michael Greer, and he actually taught yeah. me as a method um, for writing. And I really appreciated yeah. his guidance, um, which is the idea of like, you get things out there, you, you take a seed of an idea and get it out there on the blog. And um, and my profession, my professional life is I'm a writing instructor and a writing researcher. And so <laughs> cool. this really interesting concept in the field, which is called writing to learn. And what and I have found this to be so true is like, I take a seed of an idea and I'm not even sure always where I'm going to go, but as I work on writing it for myself and for an audience, it sort of helps me deeply understand it. Um, yeah. I and so... Yeah. And so like this idea of writing to learn, it's like, if you start and for some people write that might not work. Right. But you know, if you have some kind of art form that you can help convey your ideas or your insights, whether it's journaling, whether it's writing poetry, that actually helps you deepen your own understanding. And then it helps others too. So. Yeah. I've definitely done that with music from, for myself, like working through something in a song helps me understand it better. And then it's something, it's a way you can communicate with others that. So you get like multiple benefit, like you get right. the benefit of like the meditative practice of engaging in it. And then you get the benefit of other people get to read it and get something from it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Druid's Garden blog, I think it's been around since 2011. I'd have to look. I was in there this week and I have 468 posts. So <laughs> there's a lot on there. Um, and, you know, it's really pretty like you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much all the stuff we've been talking about. There's herbalism, there's permaculture, homesteading, and you get some, you get some gratuitous goose photos. Cause I have geese and I love that. <laughs> um, and um, there's artwork, you know, drew a lot of druidry. And, and that's really was just a place for me to sort of, I don't know. It really started um, when I was still working on my own AODA practices. Um, I was working on like the AODA has three, like three degrees. And the third degree is really like the open-ended, like hey, come up with a project and work on it. And so my project was actually integrating permaculture and druidry. And I started the blog in order to kind of document and understand some of what I was doing. And then it sort of just continued on. And by the time I was done, I was like, wow, this is a really important part of my own thinking. Um, so you asked where I got, where I get ideas, um, kind of everywhere, you know, I just, yeah. 
I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer for that. Things come to me. Um, I do really think it's important to keep learning always. So I'm always trying to take new classes. And, you know, even if I'm out there teaching people about plants, like, I feel like there's no, like, there's no end to what you can learn. So I try as often Very as possible to learn other things and then share that on the blog and then learn from my readers. And it's fun. I like it. Um, it's, it's, it's an important part of my life, I guess. And I, I think it's, I think it's been, you know, it's helped other people in some ways too, which is always nice. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like your process of learning and creating relationships with the plants and really like understanding ideas and having interaction. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like, the, the I think the most important thing too is that like a lot of this stuff that we're working on is it's old and it's new. So like we have a whole civilization that we essentially are going to have to rewrite in order to <laughs> like yeah. solve our problems. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's this, this like, I, this is sort of part of my personal service to the planet. It's part of my personal service to nature. Is nature has given me so much. It has given me like so much healing and joy and, and I have to reciprocate. And one of the ways that my personal, like something that I was trained in and something that I'm good at is teaching and writing. And so I'm sort of trying to take the things that I have been trained in and that I do well and share them in ways that might make a difference for this planet and others. And so that's really like, that's why the Druid's Garden exists. That's why the Plant Spirit Oracle exists. You know, it's just a lot of that stuff is all yeah. there for that reason, ultimately. I think that's, that's very, that's, that's wonderful. I've been liking your um, profiles on the trees because yeah. uh, being from Western Pennsylvania, like those are all my favorite trees too. <laughs> <laughs> you did one on Aurelia Spinoza, which is not like a tree that I think a lot of people know about but I, it's, I think it's just one of the most beautiful plants I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually, in the next like couple of months, I'm going to be doing a lot of really like what I call the understory, um, the understory okay. trees like Aurelia Spinoza, which is Devil's Walking Stick and Rhododendron. And ah. I, I already did, um, I did, um, I'm doing American Hazel. I'm working on that one. Um, and Iron so Sassafras. Sassafras. Are you doing Pawpaw? Um, I will do papa. I haven't done it yet, um, but I will do papa. Um, and yeah, that whole series. So this kind of gets into um, like here in North America, obviously we have this terrible legacy as like I'm a white person and um, my family, my ancestors stole land from Native Americans. They drove them from the land and they killed them. And that's what happened. And then of course they pillaged the land for three centuries. And that's the that's literally the ancestor legacy I have. And so I, when I sort of when I try to reconcile that, um, you know, a lot of knowledge about these plants was lost, especially here in Western Pennsylvania. We don't have, you know, we don't have any reservations. We don't have any active tribes. We don't have any indigenous knowledge. And so, um, you know, I think part of what I need to do is, and others like me, is sort of rebuild some of that, but in ways that make sense for today. Um, and so that's some of what I'm doing with that is, sort of saying, okay, um, what might these sacred trees actually do for us? Um, what do they do herbally? What human uses do they have? Do they have bushcraft uses? Do they have edible uses? And then sort of what is their spiritual energy that may be divination? And eventually that's gonna become probably another Oracle project of some kind, but it's not quite there yet. Um, but I think that's important. And the other reason I'm doing that is that there's this huge, really interesting sacred tree tradition that's in the UK that's tied to the Druid path. Um, but a lot of those trees don't actually grow here. So like I've never met a blackthorn tree or a spindle tree. So I can't really like use the elm traditionally, 
but right. man, devil, devil's walking stick, that makes, <laughs> that would make nice Blackthorn equivalent. So it's sort of thinking about how we can use some of the spiritual tools of the, of the Druid tradition, but in this context, and in a way that's respectful and reverent of the ancestors of the land, I guess. Yeah, for, for, for real. Yeah, for, for real. Uh, I, I just, uh, I'm really excited because I, I just got some seeds from Oikos uh, tree crops of, um, of Blackthorn. <laughs> uh, so I'll get to meet it you know I've met the seeds now but I'll get to grow it and, and get, get get some kind of relationship with it but it's not it's not native here it's not not naturalized either but so on your blog you you have this um section about the Allegheny Oum and I think that's a really interesting project um and like you know regional you're bringing it into the eco region that you live in mm -hmm. um and yeah could you tell us about that about what, what the Allegheny Oum is and what the process of, of creating it was for you? Yeah. So the Druid tradition um, has this idea of Oum. They're really old. It's a really old tree alphabet. Um, more contemporarily, it was also tied to divination. Um, people aren't sure if that was actually the case because you know we really have like ancient inscriptions. This, this is the part of the problem with the Druid tradition. I, I don't think it's a problem that some people do. The, the Druid tradition doesn't have much history because the Druids never wrote their teachings down. Um, and so we really have very a lot of fragments. So a lot of the modern Druid tradition is um, sort of inspired by the ancients, but there's a lot of pieces missing. But one of the pieces we have is this idea of the Oum and sacred tree months and all of this thing. Um, but again, you know, you know, if you're practicing a tradition from the British Isles and you don't, you know, you don't know Blackthorn or Spindle, and maybe you've been lucky and met a yew tree, it's really hard to connect with that you know, it's it's hard to connect with the trees you've never met um and so the whole idea of a lot of people now are creating like regional oems um which is just a, a form of tree divination where you take the system the existing system of oem and you try to figure out what trees might be appropriate um in your ecosystem um that takes a long time that took me several years to come up with that mm -hmm. and i'm still not completely happy with it but i'm mostly happy with it um um, I was just debating a friend the other day about the placement of maple and hazel, but you know, yeah. um, you know, like, are you sure you want to put maple there or, you know, beach there or whatever. Um, but I think it's a really useful exercise for people because you really have to learn, like, like for me, when I'm doing this, this really ties to the sacred trees too, um, which is kind of a larger thing, but the OMS part of it is like, looking at these trees from all of these different aspects. So mm -hmm. where do they function in the ecosystem? Um, you can apply right. the doctrine of signatures, right? Um, which I really like doing. Um, you know, what have humans traditionally done with them? Um, you know, is it growing on a floodplain or not? Is it an understory tree or not? Does it produce edible fruit or is it poison? Um, what are the traditional herbal uses? What are the traditional native uses of it? Um, and sort of, and colonial uses of it and sort of like, all of these different pieces and you kind of synthesize them all and say okay I think this might this might fit um and that's a fun process um there's a couple other OMs um in North America like John Michael Greer he did one for the Northwest I think there's a Florida OM um so there you know there's people are starting to create them and I think that's a really nice expression of sort of nature spirituality for here for for where we actually live as opposed to the British Isles which some of us may never have set foot on right right I think uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely, as you said, it's like a, like a exercise, you know, whether or not like you make a, oh, and that fits perfectly, you're getting to know the trees better that actually grow around you. <laughs> yeah. But that's another interesting thing about, uh, that I really like about your blog is how um, 
in your practices of how you're trying to connect to the land that you actually live in. Yeah. Um, and some of the ways that you do that. Yeah, uh, like the, um, you did a post in January of doing a wassail and tree blessing and um, pouring libations on the roots of trees, like that kind of a thing. Um, so is there anything that you're looking forward to coming up for the next month or in February? Or is it like coming up next? Like, what are you looking forward to? Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, we just actually wassailed this. It's just me and my partner, cause you know, pandemic, mm -hmm. but um, we just wassailed actually on Sunday, um, which was January 17th. Um, and yeah, like this, I think that like in terms of looking forward, um, I think that continuing to really explore like what does our own unique ecosystems offer and how can we deepen our practices right in those ecosystems. So um, I've got a couple more of those sacred trees, tree posts coming up, which I'm excited about, but I'm also really like deeply meditating on the winter landscape right now. Mm -hmm. and, like on this idea of the understory. And so I'm currently like working my way through like, what does it, like what does the understory offer us? Cause we usually pay attention to the overstory trees. We pay attention to the oaks and the maples and the cherries and hickories and all of that. But there's this sort of really rich, vibrant understory that happens in winter. You know, the moss mm -hmm. lights up and the mountain laurels are really, they're happy and, and the, the rhododendrons are happy and the witch hazel's blooming in the fall, date late fall. And then in the early spring, the service berry and yeah. um, the spice bush in particular, that's the first one to bloom. Oh, the spice yeah. bush is great. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, viburnum up here, nanny berry. Do you, do you oh, have yeah. yeah, we've got nanny berry here too. That's and, it's a great treat in the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah. And so there's like this really interesting like winter landscape that's all tied to these understory trees that are typically pretty quiet during the light half of the year. Yeah. So I've been really thinking and meditating on sort of what does that mean for spiritual practice? What lessons does that offer? And, you know, I'll be writing about that probably in February. Um, and I think the other thing that I'm just really looking forward to like this year is just, I think that this is just a good time to deepen our practices, generally speaking. Um, you know, it looks like we probably have at least six or eight more months realistically, you know, of, of the pandemic. And so it's like, how can I use this as an opportunity um, to learn more, you know, take some more classes, even if they have to be online, read some more books and just really expand my own knowledge so that I can help others and help myself, you know? Um, so those are the kinds of things I'm, I'm sort of thinking about. Um, yeah. And, you yeah. know, it's, it's actually, I don't know, I, I feel like, you know, there's this saying in, in one of the principles in permaculture is the problem is the solution. Yeah. And we can always find, if we, if we look carefully enough, we can always look to find interesting solutions or opportunities within problems or, you know, maybe more like making lemonade out of lemons. Um, mm -hmm. And I really, really am trying to embrace that during this time and really think about that. And that's actually tied to this idea of the understory, right? It's like, you know, you, all the leaves drop, it's winter, but suddenly you have an opportunity. I like all the moss is like, oh, finally I get some sun, you know? And it's just this really interesting time. And so I'm really thinking about those kinds of things right now. Yeah, cool. And then we'll have the spring ephemerals in a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. So we don't have that much more time, Dan. It's been a, a wonderful conversation. Um, I don't know if this is too big of a topic, but do you think you could touch on uh, what sacred gardening is? And how yeah, that, absolutely. How it works? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so this gets into permaculture, right? So, and permaculture is rooted in three or four ethics, um, depending on who you're asking, um, but it's rooted ultimately in care. So it's earth care, uh, fair share, people care. 
And then I would also argue it's self-care. So those are sort of the mm. four. Yeah. That's um, and so this idea of, so, so when I think about sacred gardening and what that means, and, and that's actually, there's a chapter in my new book on sacred gardening too, which kind of outlines principles of it that I think are really valued. But um, sacred gar so, so a traditional gardener does what? They, they maybe they prepare the soil, they plant seeds, and they look forward, they tend the plants and they look forward to the harvest, right? And you see that a lot. You see that a lot in suburban America. Um, to me, sacred, sacred gardening puts both sort of um, this ethic of care back into what we do, um, an ethic of reciprocation that I am going to work to regenerate and heal and create a space for life that's not just me, <laughs> um, but also this idea of sacredness, um, the idea that the, that the garden has spirit, that you're engaging not only with a physical plant, but a metaphysical spirit. Um, and so that really changes suddenly what you do. It's not just about putting seeds in the ground and reaping a harvest. It's about creating a relationship. Um, yeah. It's about honoring and gratitude. And it's about engaging in this ethic of care such that, yes, I'm going to do the people care thing, right? I'm going to take care of myself as a person and I'm going to eat vegetables. But most importantly, I'm also going to engage in fair share where I'm not going to take all of it. Maybe I leave some for wildlife and I'm going to engage in earth care where I not only create a space for me, but maybe I create a pollinator hedge or, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how I can work with the existing landscape and bring new things in. Um, and so like those are in, <laughs> briefly some of the things and ways in which I think about sacred gardening, um, but it's really ultimately about care and building relationships and building reciprocation. Um, it's not just about what we take from nature, but what we can offer. And hopefully that relationship is so rich that you know there's always this sort of two-way stream where I'm always giving and I'm always receiving. And I'm always thinking about how can I do more that you know supports nature? Um, that's how I trans, you know, it's it's how you take the the you know the typical American lawn, you know, the last the last time I looked at the statistics, we have about 40 million acres of it and it produces <laughs> You know, it produces a ton of carbon emissions. We have oil spills all over the place, small oil spills like from gasoline, right? Gasoline spills filling up your, you know, your gas guzzling lawnmower. And like, that's not a sacred relationship with the land, right? That's a, that's a relationship where I'm simply cutting down this grass. I'm using fossil fuels to do it. So how do I remove fossil fuels? How do I start practicing this various permaculture ethics? How do I bring in this idea of reciprocation and care? How do I do good, right? So those are some of the ways I think about it. I mean, I could go on and on about that forever, but um, <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, this is this has been a great conversation, Dana. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for your wonderful questions, and thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Yeah. So everyone can find you at adriadsgarden.wordpress.com. They can buy your Tear of Trees deck or your Plant Spirit deck, and we're going to be looking forward to your new book. What is it called again? Uh, sacred actions. Sacred okay. actions. Okay. We'll, we'll awesome. put all that information in the in the show description too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll definitely send you links to everything too. Okay. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you so much again, Dan. It was a pleasure speaking with you and getting to hear about all the great things that you're doing for the world. So, we really appreciate you taking the time. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.